You're listening to the Family Discipleship Podcast, a podcast of training the church. This is Adam Griffin, and we've got a special episode of the podcast today. My Yeah, new... you do. Yeah, you do. Oh, calm down. Let me let me get all the way through the intro. Oh my goodness, Kyle. My usual lovely and quiet co-hosts who are so polite to let me get through the intro, Cassie Bryant and Chelsea Griffin. They're not here with me this week. They'll be back next week. But today is just me and two very special guests, two of my favorite pastors, two-thirds of the Knowing Faith podcast trinity, the mm-hmm. JT English and Kyle Worley. How you doing, JT and Kyle? I'm just glad I got the JT English and Kyle got just Kyle Worley. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I noticed that right out, right out of the gate, you've put subordination in the new faith trinity. Oh, how um, does that work? Is it all, it's co-equals eternally for you guys? Well, no, Jen is, def- Jeff, Jen is definitely the, the, uh, the head of the, the knowing faith trinity. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I'm, you know, I just want to say this. I'm really glad to be here, Adam. And uh, here in your you know, home on a microphone or here on the podcast? Here on the podcast. And I'm looking forward to learning just some best practices about hosting, watching you. Uh, uh, I, you, you. I will tell the audience, Adam did pray before we did this podcast. I want to be clear. The Knowing Faith team has never prayed before we recorded it. <laughs> That's not quite true, Kyle. Jen and I pray for you regularly <laughs> before we hop on. But I'll receive it. I'll take it. JT, what's what are we looking for for a change in Kyle's heart this season? What are you and Jen really hoping for? Just intelligence, just that he would be able to keep up in conversation. <laughs> if he could just, sometimes it feels like the conversation slows down with the host, but if he could catch up, it'd be great. One of the reasons I'm looking forward to this episode with you guys, besides just my friendship with you, my appreciation for your knowledge, is we're going to try to take what you guys do, which is truly brilliant, if I'm being completely honest. What you guys do, you guys are so brilliant, and Jen included in that. And you, you don't really have to think much about how does this translate to a child. But today, getting to see how this is going to equip parents and how can we translate something that's mysterious, difficult to understand as an adult, how do we teach a kid? I think you guys are the perfect people to do this. So I'm excited about this episode. Man, that's awesome. Our, our topic for today is Paw Patrol, right? Yes. How Paw Patrol is a metaphor for the Good Samaritan. And uh, Kyle, I don't know a single Paw Patrol character, but if you have okay, to be uh, one. Li- Liberty, Chase, Rubble. Uh, Marshall, Everest, Rocky, Sky. That's and they're really led, good. And they're led by Ryder. That's the most impressive thing I've ever seen you do. And I've seen you I'm do just saying, really good. My daughter is a big fan and we play Paw Patrol every other day probably. So I was in a conversation with an adult this week who said that Paw Patrol was, there's like a new movie out. He went and saw the Paw Patrol movie and he was like, this is one of the best, you know, most well-written movies I've seen in a decade. And I was like, I I did not, I saw the movie. I did not have that experience. Didn't Aaron, Aaron Sorkin did Paw Patrol, right? Isn't that right? Well, if he did, I'm on my way right now. (laughs) Yeah, there's this really weird scene where Chase is smoking a cigarette in a fire department and he puts it out on the ground and throws his foot into it, you know? <laughs> they're always walking when they're moment. talking. Yep. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a deep cut for West Wing, for those who don't know, and a deep cut for Paw Patrol, for those who do. Uh, well, without further ado, let's get to the actual content of this episode. I know you guys like to banter for the first 30 minutes and then 10 minutes of content. We're going to try mm-hmm. to reverse that on Family Discipleship. It's good. It's good. All right, JT, for those who don't know you or those who only know you as pastor and theologian, can you tell us a little bit about JT as father and husband? Tell us about that role in your life. You bet. Those are my favorite roles. Uh, So I'm married to Macy English. We got married 14 years ago. Uh, My wife has taught me more about God than anybody else. She is just a humble 
Christ center. She's my best friend. We just have a, a really a genuinely wonderful marriage. I just love being with her. Uh, she was a Christian basically as for as long as she can remember. Grew up in a pastor's home, got baptized as a young child, and would just say it's hard for her to remember a day where she didn't know Jesus as Lord. My story is super different. I met Jesus two weeks before I met her, and then met her at a campus crusade for Christ meeting. And wow. man, the Lord just has knit our hearts together in some ways that I just I'm eternally thankful for. Uh, and then we've got two kiddos. I've got a six-year-old named Thomas. He is my buddy, man. He is just my pal. We're in a really sweet season of watching lots of Paw Patrol, honestly. And then I've got a little girl named Bailey. She's four years old. They're kicked up school the last few weeks. And Thomas goes to a school where he has to wear a uniform. And all, all through growing, like when I was growing up, I never had to do that. And now I'm like jealous. Like he looks so sharp heading out to, to school. Wednesday's formal day. So he has a little tie on and slacks. And I'm like, I, I haven't had to dress like this in a long time, buddy. But I'm, I'm jealous <laughs> for you. So Are you going to put a formal, my, day, a formal day into storyline churches? You know, we should. We should just do it on Sundays. Sunday best. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. One of my favorite moments from this weekend, I was we were doing an installation service for JT, is in the pre-service time. Uh, and Thomas was looking sharp. JT was giving a talk and just thanking everybody for being there uh, at the service. So it's like everybody's there who's a part of the service. And Thomas stands up on a chair and goes, go dad. <laughs> <laughs> was it was amazing. Was it was amazing. JT or was that for the father? Yeah, both, both, okay. but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a metaphor, but I mean, like this is the, I, every time he's in that room and I'm up on the stage, like we have a like, prayer gatherings that our kids come to, we're integrating them in the life of our church. And he'll just like, he'll find the quietest moment. Like he actually waits for it and he just goes, preach it up, dad. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. How long did it take you to teach him that? That's pretty good. No, it was a long time, a treat each time. Kyle, how about you? People probably know you from your WWE podcast, but who, who, oh, are, you as the, who are you as the father and the husband? Yeah. Um, so as a husband, uh, I'm married to Lauren. We've been married for 11 years uh, this November. Uh, and uh, she's the best thing that ever happened to me outside of Jesus. Love Amen. her with my whole heart. And uh, she's an incredible wife, incredible friend, incredible partner. And uh, we just have a lot of fun living life and ministering together. We met and were friends for years before we started dating. And uh, we've always been the best of friends. And we remain that to this day. Very grateful for her. Uh, we have a four and a half, almost five-year-old daughter. Uh, uh, her name is Lydia. We adopted Lydia. And it's been a beautiful story uh, there. And mm -hmm. I love her with my whole heart. And uh, I'm not going to cry talking about her today. So, But uh, on, I, love, I, 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 I love Lydia. She's the best. She's creative. She's got a very loud personality. And I want it to be cranked up to 11. Uh, I, I'll do these little... We call these, we call them theology liturgies and life liturgies. And one of the life liturgies I've been doing with her recently is on finances. And one of the words that I've taught her is debt. Uh, debt is bad. And she recently found, uh, she was talking with somebody. I told her, hey, I don't want you to get into college debt. Uh, you know, so we, we'll work through that. And so we just talk about debt and all these kinds of things, what you do with money, what you don't do with money. And she recently heard one of our friends, she goes, uh, the person said, well, I went to college here. And Lydia goes, did you get debt? <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. And I was like, yeah, I mean, ask her, sweetheart. I mean, honestly, learn a lesson. You know what I'm saying? So, That's so great. What was the answer? The person was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> like just about everybody who's ever gone to college. Yeah. Yes, I, I did take on some debt. Judgmental preschooler. I love it. Yep. <laughs> well, today our topic, I'm excited about this. We're going to talk a little bit about the Trinity and how to teach your kids about the Trinity. But one of the things that I had the privilege of is getting to see you guys firsthand, both working together and leading a church through theology. And I would always hear, always, without fail, when one person from your team, JT, would teach on the Trinity, 
in what we called the Institute at the Village Church, it without fail, someone would come to me and say, I have been a heretic for a long time. <laughs> or I have, my mind is just blown yeah. by the teaching on the Trinity. But before we get into that, just to be vulnerable for a second, because y'all had moments where y'all learned and maybe oh, yeah. not even necessarily about the Trinity, but was there a moment you can share with the listeners where you realized, oh my goodness, this is this is orthodox doctrine. I've been believing something totally different my whole life. <laughs> JT, uh, can we start with you? Is there any heresy that you feel like you had to be rescued from? Yeah, I mean, it was around, there's two. It was around Trinitarian stuff, the things that we'll get to talk about today. But another one was just on the doctrine of sin and what it means to be a person. I'd kind of, you know, just just like most of us in Western culture, maybe have been kind of inundated with this with this idea of like human autonomy, human goodness, virtue. We're the best yeah. things ever. Kind of misunderstanding what it means to be an image bearer and our relationship to God. God, I always had just believed as a, I I grew up in a post-Christian environment. I did not grow up in the church. I just believed that humans were the best thing ever. And I had to realize, oh my goodness, we are dead in our sins and trespasses, separated from a good and holy God, which makes the gospel that much sweeter. Yeah, that's good. Kyle, how about you? I know that you've been a heretic a thousand times over. Can you pick one for us? I've had to help him a few times around these yeah. Right, no, there's no doubt about that. No, I mean, I would say the biggest one was Trinitarianism. Uh, I had a view that was widely held and uh, largely came by way of Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, which is a great systematic theology textbook. I certainly benefited from it during my time. Uh, but there was a view there that I would say not heretical, but is certainly unhelpful on the subordinationism of the Son to the Father eternally. Uh, we probably won't get into that today. That's a little bit of deep water stuff, <laughs> but it was not a helpful view. Uh, and I held it for a long time. And when I changed my view, I, I mean, there were things I had written, organizations I had supported, mm. blogs I'd written, sermons I had given. All of those things were like, I was wrong about that. I'll put, uh, I'll put all those in the footnotes, the show notes no, here. No, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, please, please, please don't. Um, so, JT, I know that, that your doctoral work was on the on Trinitarian theology, right? So this is yeah, yeah. This is a huge investment of your life. What What do you feel like is the most common heresies that you're running into with people when you're teaching on this in your local church, when you were studying it as a theologian, as a scholar, what most common, I mean, now Kyle brought up one, but what are some of the most common, uh, I don't, heresy maybe sounds offensive to the listener. Really what we mean by heresy is just a, a, a misunderstanding or a wrong understanding about what we believe to be orthodox, which is right teaching. But what is most common for you, JT, that you run into? Yeah, that's right. You know, anytime you're doing theology, it's important that we, as you just said, Adam, create an environment for people to learn. Like when it comes to theology, it can be really scary to be wrong about things. And so you kind of act like you have it all right. But to, to set up an environment like this where you're saying, man, where have we learned? Where have we grown? And where do others need to grow? Specifically, when it comes to Trinitarianism, almost all mistakes are made in relation to God's oneness and his threeness. What does it mean for him to be one? And what does it mean for him to be three? But to focus on his threeness for a second, a lot of American evangelicals have been either explicitly taught or unintentionally or implicitly taught that God is kind of three different modes, that he basically mm -hmm. is one who's revealing himself in three different ways. He reveals himself as father, reveals himself as son, and reveals himself as spirit. And we will use analogies to think to say things like God is like water, yep. ice and gas, or he's like an egg, or he's like a three-leaf clover. And that, though well-intentioned, is technically an ancient heresy called modalism, which would be outside the bounds of what we would call orthodoxy. Yeah, which is... To summarize, you're saying if you if your metaphor is saying that each person of the Trinity is a part of 
a right. unified God or uh, like a, that's where the three leaf clover or the egg or the, mm-hmm. the, the gas analogy would fall apart. In fact, that was kind of my next question is as we're thinking about with kids, what are the worst metaphors for the Trinity that you've seen taught to children? Kyle, I'm all sure you've seen a, all of them. Every metaphor falls short, right? In some sense, right? I mean, I mean, well, true. I mean, like, um, Gregory of Nazianzus, one of the Cappadocian fathers, he talks about the torch and the light of the torch. And he basically in this illustration is acknowledging that the moment you look at the, he, he talks about the undivided light of the Trinity. He talks about how when I see the torch, when I see the light, I can, all I see is one. But the more that I look at the oneness of God, the more I see the distinction of persons. The more I look at the distinctions of persons, the more I'm pulled back to the oneness of God. Metaphors fall short because they're too one-dimensional. Yes. They either focus right. on the threeness or they focus on the oneness. And God isn't one and three. God is three in one. That's different. Uh, and so a lot of times you'll hear an analogy or a metaphor and you'll go, well, that's really focusing on the distinction of persons. And they'll yeah. go, well, yes, that's what God is. Go, well, no, God is three in one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, and uh, so that's that that's a difficult thing. It is metaphors are confounded by the doctrine of the Trinity, and it's probably best to to look more uh, with an unveiled face on the doctrine that's revealed in scripture than it is to try to paint pictures of metaphors. And I think kids in general, we try to, for some reason, use metaphors to teach kids everything. I don't know why, but we try to help kids think abstractly in order for them to understand something that's concrete, or in this case, mysterious. Sure. When... It'd be like uh, if we give a metaphor for love instead of hugging a kid. You know, you hug a kid to show them what love is, Mm. but we want to give a metaphor for love. And there's a temptation for a parent to have the perfect metaphor to teach the kid about the Trinity instead of maybe just saying, no, we just want you to teach exactly who God is the way he is without having to say, it's kind of like an apple. You've got a core and a seed and uh, the meat and the skin. Or it's kind of like you. You've got a mind and a body and a feeling. No, you can just teach about God, if we can give you one early piece of advice, instead of trying to take your kids somewhere else, take them directly there. And I think that's helpful. But we may have already lost some people too, with just how complicated we've already gotten. So let me bring it back to something simple. If I explain to a kid, especially a little kid, that there are three persons, I start there, three persons, and you have in your mind what a kid thinks when you hear three persons, and you say, in one God, is, is there a less confusing way to say that to a kid? Or is that just we have to bring them up to what we're explaining? Can you think of a way or maybe how you do it in your own home? I'm sure, JT, that you're catechizing your son. How mm-hmm. do you explain the Trinity in a way that doesn't lose them as soon as you start talking? Man, that's a really good question. And again, I don't know that there is a, if you do it this way, they're going to get it. Because at right. the end of the day, God reveals himself to people through our words, through scripture, and ultimately by the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And so parents, in some sense, should feel a sense of relief that you don't have to be compelling, convincing. We do want to be clear, yes. but this isn't this isn't on you trying to you know convince your child of God's Trinitarian nature. God is gracious, and as you are faithful to present the nature and character of God, he reveals himself through scripture. Uh, actually, the first thing I would do, and, and this is this is not right or wrong one way or the other. I like to start with the oneness of God. Yeah. I just think starting with like the Bible has such a heavy emphasis for us, which is different than the ancient Near Eastern cultures in which the Bible was written of monotheism, that we're we're living in a world, uh, especially when you think about the biblical imagination, where there's lots of gods, a god for the sun, a god for the tree, a god for the grass, a god for the rain, a god for everything. But 
for the for the biblical imagination, the biblical worldview. And I think what we want to tell our kids, and this kind of is going to butt up against some Western secularism. No, no, no. We have a we have a belief that there is one God. He is the creator, the maker, and the sustainer of all things. And so that I would say is the first battle I want to fight as it relates to Trinitarianism, just beginning to build a biblical imagination for our kids that we worship the one holy God. Now that one God over the course of scripture, as you just mentioned, Adam, reveals himself and it is not just reveals three persons, father, yeah. son, and spirit. And then as I begin talking to, so I am, I'm talking to Thomas and Bailey about these things. We actually use, and I would, I'd be surprised if you haven't mentioned this or aren't going to mention in the future, the New City Catechism for Kids yeah. is really helpful as it relates to language on this. So the second question, I think it's the second question just asks, how many persons are there in God? And my little four-year-old Bailey would tell you, there are three persons in one God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I just would encourage parents, one of the most helpful things you can be doing right now isn't necessarily going for understanding, but going for articulation. Just yep. get these this language right. trapped in their mind so that they just begin to process the world that there's this one God who's Father, Son, and Spirit. That's really good advice. Yeah, and it's not crazy to make those kinds of moves. Listen, whenever you're looking at a kid and you're trying to get him to see a, like a stop sign, you don't sit down and try to explain all the traffic laws in America. Right. You're, not like, <laughs> you're not like, before I can have you believe that this red sign here means you should stop, I need you to see that this is a stop sign. You can teach them that. And just say, I need you to understand it. It'll make more sense to you as you go along one day <laughs> why a stop sign would be here. But right now, there is a stop sign, and you have to stop at that stop sign. You don't have to sit them down and go, okay, there are cars. They drive. There's all these different traffic rhythms. They may not see you. You, you just say, stop at the stop sign. You know what I'm saying? Good. Or yeah. cross at the, the the cross at the crosswalk or whatever. And I think that sometimes we feel like, man, I got to give them this whole, you know, this Corvette engine yeah. of theological literacy and or because i can't just tell them to believe this it's like no god in deuteronomy 6 tells israel here O israel the lord your god the lord is one yeah god just tells israel who he is I, mm -hmm. the lord your god is one he doesn't sit down and talk about uh okay uh the ontology of my being <laughs> is such that uh there are a multitude of god options in the ancient near east but but i'm one and this is why i am unified in this way he just says no hero israel the lord your god the lord is one and yeah. over time god's people come to an increase increasing understanding through progressive revelation on what that actually means yeah and i think this is partially colored too by the fact that all three of us have very young kids Mm -hmm. And one of the things that people make an assumption about with young kids is that they they cannot grasp things or they cannot, uh, we underestimate how much they can memorize. And so what, what JTE, Kyle, what you guys are talking about some in, in the catechism, which I, I, we'll talk more about here in resources in just a second, but is helping this kid understand the language we use and then yeah. they'll grow in the understanding of the concept that that language is trying to point them towards. But also, I'd encourage any listener not to underestimate what an older kid can understand. You don't have to like water down sure. what we're talking about when it comes to modalism or just Orthodox Trinitarian theology. And I know those, those sound like seminary words that you may have to understand. And maybe the right next step, and we'll talk about this in a minute, is you as a parent doing some study about who the Trinity is and yeah. how, how this operates, how we believe this has been and will always be. 
And don't underestimate your teenager who maybe is asking these questions saying, hey, my, my friend is Mormon or my friend is Jehovah's Witness or my friend says of the Abrahamic religions, we're the one that's not monotheistic and be able to answer that question in a way built off the language that we're talking about from the catechism without pulling punches theologically just because it's mysterious or, or difficult. And as young kids thinking about catechizing them, but, but let me shift gears here for just a second. We'll come back to that concept in a minute. JT, you gave us a really great starting with oneness. JT or Kyle, can you help us think through teaching kids, maybe especially little kids about distinctives within the persons of the Trinity? How would you, at a, at a kid level, thinking about elementary school, middle school, how do you teach them not to be a natural modalist? How do you teach them, here's mm -hmm. how, here's how uh, Jesus Christ, or I'm sorry, the God the Father did not die on the cross. Like what are the, what are the distinctives that we teach to kids? Well, that's a great question. And I would say that the gospels and acts are a great place to go. Um, one of the simplest ways that I've done this with kids, even in the life of Mosaic, who are a little bit older than my daughter, but are asking some questions, is I'll go to the baptism story of Jesus. And I'll be like, hey, here's a, here's a quick picture yeah. of the father making a pronouncement, the spirit descending, and the son being anointed and being baptized. These are the three persons of the Godhead, and yet they are three in one. Yes. And so just 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 that's just a clear moment to be able to go, hey, they're not divided against one another. They're absolutely unified with one will that's operating across the three persons of one accord and in this one event. Now, the flip side of that, and maybe the the threat in that is that they'll look at them and be like, oh, they're three divided entities. You know, it's here that here mm -hmm. it is. The three different persons are really three different gods. And I think that what you can do is paint a picture there of going, no, what we're seeing here is a playing out. So when we talk about the Trinity, and this is, doesn't take long to get into the heavy lifting here, but maybe just think about the Trinity inside and outside. Maybe that's a simple way to think about it. The theologians will call it ad intra, the Trinity in and of itself, and the Trinity ad extra, the Trinity at work in the world cooperating together, right? Uh, one, one will moving together in the world. So the father making a pronouncement, the spirit descending, the son receiving, that would be an ad extra picture, a trinity outside, trinity at work in the eyes or sight of the world. And I think that's a great story to do it in. I think another way is just to pray Trinitarian prayers. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I think this is the principal way. And this is also how we see Trinitarian patterns in the New Testament. Like look at Ephesians 1 verses 3 through 11 and look at how Paul talks about the, the persons of the Godhead. You know, even as God chose us in him, the son of God, before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. Then by the end of Ephesians 1, he has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. So we're getting these pictures um, you think about Jesus's great commission, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So I think one of the simplest ways you can model the distinction of persons uh, in terms of living in a Trinitarian Christian way is to pray to God the Father through God the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit to in prayer address God the Father or Father, we come before you, we pray. And where, where do we pray these things? We pray them in the name of of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right there is a very simple, very biblically faithful way to acknowledge we are praying to God the Father 
How? Well, Hebrews 10 says our confidence to enter his presence is through the torn flesh of Jesus Christ. So we're, we're praying to God the Father in the name of Christ the Son. And how is this relationship being mediated? Well, 1 Corinthians says the Spirit of God that searches even the depths of God indwells us, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. So we're praying to God the Father through God the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Even just saying that yes. as a part of your formula for prayer as a way of instructing your kids, hold on a second here. We're talking to God who is one and who as one, God eternally exists in three different distinct persons, each of whom is fully God and yet there is one God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Hey listeners, we live in a world where anxiety, depression, and weariness seem to be the basic descriptors of our lives. For many of us, our calendars and our plates are overfull, yet our lives still lack joy. But it doesn't have to be this way. Jesus invites you to have true and abundant joy that's only found in Him. In John 15, Jesus reveals three very surprising pathways to finding this type of joy. You can discover these pathways in the new book, Overflowing Joy, by author and Bible teacher Tara Dew. This is available at LifeWay.com, and you can save 40% off with the code JOY40. Again, that's J-O-Y, the number four, the number zero, at LifeWay.com. The new book is Overflowing Joy by Tara Dew. Check it out. Hey friends, it's March, and that means Easter is right around the corner. In fact, Easter is in March this year. It's part of the reason I'm pumped to tell you about one of our sponsors who's got a really special Easter deal. This is a great time to get some new resources to disciple your family. Our friends over at Lithos Kids are having an Easter basket sale. They got the brand new Little Pilgrims Big Journey complete box set. It's now available. Guys, I can't tell you how much I love this resource. If you don't have it, you need to go check it out. Kids and parents have loved reading about Bunyan's beloved tale of Christian and his adventure to follow the king's path to Celestial City. And now you can get all three books in one box set along with a map and it comes with a coloring book and the whole thing is just 60 bucks. You can use the code FAMILY10 to get 10% off your entire order at Lithos Kids right now. So what a great discipleship opportunity. To find all this, go to lithoskids.com, see all the items in their Easter promo, including their new release, The Parables of Jesus, and the Kingdom of God Bible Storybook. Guys, we love Lithos Kids. You're going to love them too. Go check it out today, lithoskids.com, and remember the promo, FAMILY10, to get 10% off your entire order. That's great. I, I love what you're talking about there as modeling it, like this is the way my kids will hear me pray, but also teaching it through that. You're showing action yep. with this is, this is how theologically it works itself out. And I, I think that's a great way to do this. You're talking about it being obvious that our family prayers trin, prays Trinitarian prayers. And mm -hmm. if a parent, a really easy way to start is regardless of how old your kids are, in your household of teaching your kids about the Trinity is to start pray, praying Trinitarian prayers. And, it's, yes. and we get that from the scripture. This is not something that you know was invented later, this idea that, oh, this is how we'll do This is what we see. This is what we see in the Bible. JT, related to that, um, when you talk about God's action in the life of your kids, do you distinguish the persons of the Trinity as you're talking about who's doing what? Or do you just say, what I hear a lot of parents say is they just say God. They'll say, well, isn't this great that God did that? And isn't this great that God did that? And then I feel like that confuses kids potentially when you say, 
well, Jesus died on the cross. You're like, well, God, did God die on the cross? Right. Jesus, right. Help me think through that. How do I talk to my kids about the action that God takes? Totally. Uh, as I do that, I want to go back to something Kyle said, because what he said is going to help me tease this out. Kyle, you just did like a tour de force of like an entire training program lecture in about 30 seconds or less. Like, <laughs> yeah, that was incredible. It was really good. And I want to just highlight something for parents that's going to help me answer this question is Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. Go read it right now or read it when you're done doing this. Like, and, and just do it, like, just kind of do a quick cursory, just read it. And then when you're done, go back to it and pay specific attention to what language Paul is using for each person. That is going to help a bunch because as Kyle's, Kyle's language there was we pray to the Father, through the Son, and by the Spirit. That's because God's action is from the Father, through the Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit, which then can help us think about how is God acting in, in our lives? What is God doing today? So uh, in my experience in American evangelicalism, we just have a bunch of grab bag words for God. Like if you've, the opposite of a Trinitarian prayer uh, would be something like, God, Father, just Lord, Jesus, God, just Spirit, God, Lord, we love you, Jesus, God, you know, amen. and I'm, I'm as guilty of those prayers as anybody, but it, it demonstrates that we haven't thought as carefully as the Bible would instruct us to think about, about language here. So for example, and, and Adam, you, you started the podcast with this, when we think about like who died on the cross for our sins, it's not the father, though, if I had a cent for every time I heard that in a seminary chapel, uh, I'd be a rich man. Like we just unintentionally say it. So let's just, I'm trying to think of an example for my family. Um, okay, here's, here's an example. Uh, 18 months ago, I felt called from God, big, big term God, to leave the village church and come be the pastor at Storyline Fellowship. As I talk about that with my kids, a way that we could talk about God's action in our life is that the same God who 2,000 years ago took upon flesh, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, and he lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, was buried in a tomb, raised on the third day, but now sits at the right hand of God the Father. He has a people, a church. We belong to that people. And that people, there is a people in Arvada, Colorado, that our Father is calling us to serve through the Son. And here's how Mommy and Daddy know that. We walk in the Spirit. We're, we try to steep ourselves in Scripture, First Corinthians 2, which Kyle just mentioned. The Spirit is among us, teaching us, nourishing, guiding us. The Bible calls us or calls him our tutor. And so to think specifically about what was the father's action in our calling? What is the son's action in our calling? And what is the spirit's action can be, I think, really helpful. That is really helpful, honestly. And I think that it's more broadly applicable than people think. I mean, we we know creedally, and we didn't talk really about the creeds, but creeds are an easy way too mm -hmm. about making some distinctions depending on what creeds you're teaching your kids and at what level they're able to understand about historical, eternal actions and attributes of the Trinitarian God. And before we go on, I, I, I kind of regret now, I wish we would have started with this. Uh, JT, I want to go back to you for this because I know you're going to have a great answer for us. But why is it important for a parent to be able to teach their kid about the Trinity instead of just saying, well, in our house, we'll just say God, we'll say Jesus died on the cross. Why is this a critical aspect of what we believe when we're talking about discipling our home? Yeah, a, a couple things. And that is the question. That's the question, not just for discipling kids, but for just being a Christian. We need to be we need to think about Trinitarianism not as an attribute of God, but as the nature of God. Yes. Like this isn't something about him that we can somehow neglect and maybe get to later. Trinitarianism is not for the spiritually elite, it's for everyday Christians. Yeah. And that includes 
includes uh, 92-year-old grandmothers who, you know, want to disciple their kids or just want to experience the presence of God themselves, all the way down to us. We've been talking about discipling our our little kiddos. And so this isn't an attribute of his. This is him. And could there be anything more foundational to the Christian faith than the nature of God himself? And so related to that, I think I would just encourage parents. Um, what's the best way to say this? I hate it when we start Trinitarian conversations with how confusing is this mm-hmm. rather than just starting the conversation with, this is how God has revealed himself. That's good. It, because if we start with a kind of a, a snide comment about this is really confusing. It's really hard. It is mysterious. Don't hear me wrong. It is mysterious. Yep. But the Bible is unequivocally clear about these categories for the three persons of the Godhead. And we should want to hold up with a sense of certainty that this is how God has revealed himself. That is excellent. Uh, Kyle, with that in mind, understanding that uh, I think that advice is really good. That Instead of starting with your kids saying, well, here's something confusing I want to try to explain to you. What do you say to the parent that's trying to answer these questions or teach in this direction, is it okay to leave some mystery in what we are saying to our kids? Or is this something we need to have like, oh, I need to have some concrete explanation here. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, if it's not okay to leave mystery to our kids when it comes to this topic, then I'm way out of luck too. (laughs) Um, Because, you know, I've been, you know, I've been following the Lord since I was six years old and I've been seriously studying theology for the better part of 15 years and I certainly still feel confronted. Humble with brag. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I still feel I still feel cr- confronted with the mysterious mysteriousness of it all, in no greater place than in exploring the doctrine of the Trinity. I mean, Augustine said, uh, "Nowhere is the the work more difficult, the uh, the risk greater, and the reward more beneficial than in studying the doctrine of the Trinity." Uh, and he's right. I mean, he nailed it. Right. Um, and so, yeah, there is mystery when it comes to the doctrine of the Trinity. There's going to be mystery when you're explaining it to your kids. And I'll, I'll say something controversial. Your kid doesn't have to be able to explicate the Trinity to be able to follow Jesus and salvation. Hmm. They need to be able to confess Christ is Lord and they need to be being discipled in a Trinitarian manner and they need to receive a Trinitarian baptism. They certainly don't need to be denying the triune nature of God, but yeah. if we're if we're if we're prepared to say, "Hey, my ten-year-old needs to be able to fully articulate uh, perichoretic relationships in the Trinity, or the distinction between uh, Eastern and Western understandings of the Trinity," no. Do they need to be able to acknowledge that God is three and one? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each of whom is fully God, and yet there is one God. They need to be able to confess that with faith and trust and spiritual fruit in keeping with repentance and faith, but they don't need to be able to sit down and go, let me explain it to my four-year-old brother. Well, I think part of what we're talking about too is that parents will have a difficulty explaining something that is difficult to wrap the human mind around. Absolutely. So what, JT, would you tell a parent who right now is going, but I do want to know more, I yeah. What resource do we tell them? Hey, go read this. If you, if you want to have a more well-rounded and accessible Trinitarian theology, where are you sending parents at Storyline? Where are you sending listeners to the Family Discipleship Podcast to say, well, try reading this, studying this. Here's the theologian I would send you to or the author that I would send you to. Yeah, I'm going to give, can I give three recommendations? You can give no. up to four. 
No, okay. no, it's going to be less than less than two and more than one. I recommend Pitfalls by Kyle Worley, <laughs> even though it's not about Trinitarianism. We'll put that in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. It's out of print. I, think. I, I, I also recommend <laughs> out, of, out of stock. Out of stock. <laughs> uh, no, the first recommendation is clearly it's it's the obvious recommendation. It's scripture. We're not saying anything here that Bible that the Bible doesn't teach us. This is not an instance of philosophers and theologians getting away into a room by themselves and saying, "How do we make the Bible clearer?" That's not what Trinitarianism is. It's actually just trying to honor the pattern of words that that the gospel writers, that Paul and others use themselves. I want to give just subpoint to to scripture. The ones that I would point to where God is explained most clearly with Trinitarian terms, we've already talked about one of them, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. It's clear Father, Son, and Holy Spirit relationships. Also, the entirety of John's gospel, John is a, is a beautifully uh, coherent Trinitarian thinker, but specifically John 13 through 17. It's where we see the upper room discourse and Jesus himself teaching about his relationship with his father and the father and son's relationship with the Holy Spirit. And just begin patterning your words around biblical terminology. That That's the best thing that we can do. For another really helpful devotional resource, I would suggest Michael Reeves's Delighting in the Trinity. This is the book that that we've used in the Institute since year one, if I recall correctly. And it's almost always, Kyle, if if I misremember, like it's the most highly rated too. Like, uh, I need Michael Reeves to start sending us some royalty checks or something like that because we're (laughs) keeping that guy in business. (laughs) You know what? We, we, We have never had Mike Reeves on the show and I bet he's like, do they just like my writing and they don't like me? <laughs> we recommend that book and sell that book time. more than anybody else. But we we got to have him on the Here's show. Here's what you do. Day. You write a little a blog called Delighting in Mike Reeves and you post that. <laughs> I'll start a podcast. So, That's great. Mike, Mike, if you're out there, hit us up. Yeah, we're in. <laughs> So it's a great book. It, not only, the thing that I love about that book, just to, to make the recommendation clear, is he does some – he doesn't show all of his technical work that he's done. It, like it, he's not showing his work in like a math equation and you have to see it all, how he got to a solution. But it's an incredibly devotional book that has some really wise systematic insights to it. So we use it here in the Storyline Institute now as well. And people really, really have loved it. And the third resource is one that I've, I've just recommended that would go beyond Trinitarianism, but includes Trinitarian language. Parents do catechisms with your kids. If yes. that's the creeds, great. If that's the apostles, Nicene or Chalcedonian creeds. And my family right now, we're using the New City Catechism. And we're on, Thomas is six, and he's on question like 28. Like, I always had people tell me this before I was a parent. Like, your kids' minds are a trap. You just say things and they keep them. And like the the Nicene, or sorry, the Nicene, the New City Catechism has songs. And Thomas is really musically inclined. Like, he can sing all 28 of these songs. He listens to it like twice, and he just has it. So if if it's not the New City Catechism, there are others. But just... Trust that when you're putting Christian doctrine and right language in front of your kids, it's going to create categories for them in their imagination that is going to be far better than any metaphor or analogy. That's good. I think uh, what you just mentioned is helpful, especially around this topic, because what we're talking about is how do we approach, how do we get this accessible? How is it not intimidating? And all the resources you just mentioned, opening your Bible, reading Delighting in the Trinity, and using a catechism are not intimidating. Any parent can use these. And they are sure. incredibly accessible. These, these are not books written, uh, like Delighting in the Trinity was not written by some ancient author in some other mm-hmm. language that's been translated four times. And now we're trying to understand what he meant. It, it's a much more recent, it's not a huge book. It's accessible for a parent. 
Now, Kyle, JT's just mentioned, a, you did too, a slew of, of New Testament passages by which we could teach kids the gospel and about the Trinity. We could teach them about the nature of God. When it comes to this, is there anything, are, are we saying that the, the idea of the Trinity for our kids is just a New Testament lesson? Or is there anything in the Old Testament that you think you could equip a parent with to say, you know what, this is the nature of God always. We see it in the God of the Old Testament. Where would you, because a lot of what, honestly, a lot of what people are teaching, especially little kids, is character stories from the mm -hmm. Old Testament and then a yeah. character story about Jesus. And we're trying to help people understand, we don't just want you to know the characters and the stories. We want you to know God and what he is like. So mm -hmm. in the Old Testament, where are we teaching Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Yes. Thank you for giving me the easy ones. Um, <laughs> you get one pass on the show. If you need to pass this and let me call, you can call Jen. No, no, no. Hey, we, we, I was going to say, we just call Jen up. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, due to the nature, of, let me say this, due to the nature of progressive revelation, it's not that in the Old Testament, God is not triune. God has been triune eternally. Right. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, forever past, forever future. There, He is the only God who is, and he is only Trinitarian and has only ever been Trinitarian. So that's past, present, and future. Um, that's true of the whole course of the Old Testament. So the God, the Christian God, Yahweh, who we are discovering and we're journeying with throughout the Old Testament is the Trinitarian God who eternally exists in three distinct persons, each of whom is fully God, and yet there is one God. But because of the nature of progressive revelation, this gets increasingly clear to uh, our eyes and to our ability to understand over the whole of the Bible. And so I will say that it is a bit more technical to move into the Old Testament and discuss the Trinity, but it's possible. I think the focus is on the fact that God is not like the false gods of the other nations. That's certainly what the Old Testament is trying to drive at when it comes to the character and the nature of God. Deuteronomy 6, the great Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, is a passage that would have been in great contrast to Israel's understanding of what it meant to live in a world where God or gods exist. They've been freed from 400 years of bondage to Egypt, where they have seen a uh, ton of gods and God options. And yet here is the God who has rescued them, who has demonstrated his great might and power in the Exodus. And he is telling them, I am Yahweh. I am covenantally faithful and I am one, meaning I am not like the false gods of Egypt. There are not many of me. There is one God. And so I, I do, I, I say that to say, you may not be able to get the whole doctrine of the Trinity in a way that a child could understand it. And, and I want to be clear for adult listeners, that's not all that the Old Testament has to say about God, his nature, or the Trinity. That's just a passage that could make sense to a child or to a kid to describe one crucial aspect of the nature of God as triune, which is that God is one and exists in perfect, unbroken unity in and of himself. Uh, that's probably where I would start. There's a lot of passages that you could go to with older kids. I think about the Psalms passages, my Lord said to my Lord. Yeah. With all of those passages, you're going to be heavily reliant on the New Testament to, to read them with Trinitarian lenses on. Well, I think that's what a helpful point that I think is good for us to conclude on is that even when you're teaching Old Testament narrative or Old Testament, uh, any Old Testament book, 
What is really helpful is a cross-reference Bible that's going to show you, take mm -hmm. the beginning of the Bible, for instance, if we, we start with in the beginning, God created heavens and the earth, and you don't at the same time take your kid to John 1, where it says, well, in the beginning was the word, and the word was both with God and the word was God, and the word is Jesus Christ. So we take that opportunity when we're teaching creation to also teach about the Trinitarian nature of God, that Jesus didn't come later, that Jesus has, or that the son didn't come later, that the son has eternally existed. And there are a ton of distinctions to make, and, and I'm sure theological pitfalls, not to use, I don't know if that word is trademarked or not, but theological pitfalls that um, our parents might fall into. But what I hope a parent walks away from this podcast with is the encouragement to pursue understanding yourself, to speak about the Trinity the way that the Bible speaks about the Trinity, mm -hmm. and to make it not a, uh, a theological premise that we'll get to later, but rather the foundational aspect of everything we're going to teach, which is who is God. Otherwise, you can expect a ton of confusion when you try to shift later and say, well, you've understood God the Father, you've understood God the Son, but do you understand that they are one? And that Jesus, when he describes his relationship with the Father as one, what we mean by that, what we think about that, and there are tons of cross-references back and forth. The Bible teaches the Bible, which is one of the things I love about the scripture. Mm, that's good. And uh, so JT and Kyle have mentioned some great catechisms. I'll put them and a few more in our show notes. Uh, Delighting in the Trinity we'll put in there along with um, maybe a little uh, link to Mike's website so that you can finally, you guys get your time with him that you've always wanted. But if, if there's other... his cell phone number, that would help. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I really want this to be a conversation. Parents, feel free to join with us. So parents, if you have questions about explaining the Trinity to your kids, feel free to reach out to us. You can continue the conversation on social media and reach out to us and ask any of those questions you want. I'll do my best to help answer them or forward you an episode of Knowing Faith, who is our uh, gracious mother podcast and that will help you uh, as a resource to help you understand who is God and what does it mean that he is three persons in one God. Well, thanks for listening. If you think it's as important as we do to disciple your families, you can give us a great review wherever you listen to the podcast and share this episode with one of your friends. We'll see you next time.